great Zen master Huangpo, and the Japanese called him Obaku, had this to say to us. It is only in contradistinction to greed, anger, and ignorance that abstinence, calm, and wisdom exist. It is only in contradistinction to greed, anger, and ignorance that abstinence, calm, and wisdom exist. Without illusion, how could there be enlightenment? Therefore, Bodhidharma said, the Buddha enunciated all dharma only to eliminate every vestige of conceptual thinking. If I refrain from attachment to concepts, what would be the use of all dharma? Attach yourself to nothing but the pure Buddha nature, which is the original source of all things. Suppose you were to adorn the sky with countless jewels, how could they remain in position? The Buddha nature is like sky. Though you were to adorn it with inestimable merit and wisdom, how could they remain there? They would only serve to conceal its actual nature and render it invisible. It is only in contradistinction to greed, anger, and ignorance that abstinence, calm, and wisdom exist. Without illusion, how could there be enlightenment? Britt Posmer, in a poem called Proof, says it much more simply. There is no proof in love, only endless overflowing participation. So we're coming to the end of session and could say that there are different styles of practice or different emphases, emphases, is that a word? It is. Emphases of practice at different times. And we've been emphasizing a particular flavor, flavor of practice. But there's always the next moment. There's always the next moment, connected and not. This moment is connected to the last word I said, and not. It stands alone. This moment is after the previous moment, a descendant of it, and it's not. It stands alone. So even if we're living in lag time, uh, Calder mobile, mobile of regrets and should-haves rotating in our heads, we're brought forth fresh. That's what the universe does. Each situation, our shape shifts. Our mind flows. Even if we're living in lag time, that lag time is arising fresh along with everything else. We might glimpse this in a more pronounced way sometimes. One moment you're grumbling about your neighbor, you park your car and you walk in and you have your usual complaints about whatever they did. You open the door and the next moment you're embracing your dog in unabashed joy. 
this moment connected to the previous moment and not, it stands alone. Each moment is a suddenness. Each moment is a demonstration of the virtue of emptiness. It's always right. It's always just happening. Truth happening. Dogen Zenji said, this life is a truth happening. It's truth happening as See, it actually doesn't depend on us. It depends on you because without you there's no truth, there's no universe. But it doesn't depend on you. Each moment is. If after the bell, on one of these hot evenings, we were tired and grumpy from the long day, and Taito announced, pizza will now be served in the cafeteria. Most people's grumpy would evaporate like a drop of water on a hot plate. So quickly, emptiness is virtue. Not impermanence like, well, as I made my way to the cafeteria, my grumpy gradually diminished, and they happened to have gluten-free crust, so I wasn't indignant. It would evaporate. If you happen to be like me and you think pizza's the best thing about samsara. <laughs> this has nothing to do with practice or not practice. It has nothing to do with being realized, not realized. We're rootless. We're without attachment. Someone might have told us, or we might have read somewhere, that we have attachments, and now it'd be better not to have them. But where's the proof of that? What's an attachment? There seem to be patterns. We have our grooves. And we get irritated when something makes us step out of our groove. We're rootless, and we transform all the time without friction. One moment a goblin, the next an angel. From the outside, someone says, that's a contradiction. From the inside, it's just one moment. One moment. Connected and not. There's this emphasis in the tradition on letting go of evaluating mind. Is not because, I don't think it's because, somehow you could be more useful to Great Vow Monastery if you had less opinions. If we got you to drop your opinions, you might clean the bathrooms like we want you to. <laughs> or some sort of culty thing. We let go of evaluation, not because your opinions are wrong, because this... Whatever this is has no opposite. But that's obscured by opinion. 
Some of the most opinionated people you'll ever meet are Dharma teachers. Just pop on YouTube. But it all depends on how they hold them, how they understand them. So there's no attachment, there's no roots. This freedom is always manifesting all the time, but we slosh about in the vessel of our particular life. I mean, it is kind of weird that you keep waking up as the same person. Why is that? Why? Maybe someone says it's the body, it's the repository of... We slosh about in the vessel of our particular life, our personality and circumstances, a vessel made of our rhythms and cycles and connections and wounds and loves and idiosyncrasies and our reaction to those rhythms and cycles and connections and wounds and loves and idiosyncrasies and so patterns appear. Buddhas don't find a beginning to anything. So it's been a reaction to a reaction to a reaction to a reaction forever. Because there's no root. There's no attachment. It just keeps flowing. There's no friction. There's a thought, we react to our own thought. For a practitioner, we might react to our reaction. There's a reaction to that reaction to the reaction, and that has a reaction. Rhythms and cycles and connections and wounds and loves and idiosyncrasies and we're patterned beings. And it happens so quickly, so frequently, it just seems very real and solid and we stop. It seems absurd to say, you're just free. As true as that may be, it can't penetrate because it doesn't seem like that. The patterns are so long, repeated. There's so much fidelity to them. How could it... So we're beings who have great fidelity to their patterns. Some people go so far as to say we actually truly, when we get to the bottom of it, we love, we just love our lives. Whatever mix of joy, misery, happiness, all the flavors, whatever mix we have, we actually just love it. Why? You're free. You could change it. Why don't we? We love it. It's an interesting idea. You actually just love your life already. Maybe it'd be better if you could go back in time before you heard about this thing called suffering that you have that you might get rid of by doing this thing. Then you just, you just have your life which you probably already love. Even though sometimes you wish there was more chocolate and less vanilla, more sunshine and less clouds. That's part of the love. Right? I'm not sure if I love my suffering. The, the, the jury's out. We're beings who have great fidelity to their patterns. It seems. You know, sometimes for 
just to play with this, I will go, let's say, like a week, and every day that week, I'll do one thing differently, just to shake up the, the, this a kind of absurd fidelity. If we look at our rituals and how circumscribed they become. I have this weird thing that I can never put on a shirt before I put on pants. That just feels so wrong to me. <laughs> you have to put on pants before you put on a shirt. You might have something like that. <laughs> I want my peanut butter on a peanut butter and jelly sandwich on the top of the jelly. But what's the difference? So just break up the pattern. Just see what happens. Oh, I'm actually not going to be on time today. I'm going to pretend I didn't hear the wake-up bell and just sleep in and see what it's like to be somebody that isn't always on time, doesn't get seen as the good Zen student, whatever. Beings who have great fidelity to their patterns. Do you exist apart from your patterns? The things that you do, the way that you be, is there a you apart from those? This is an intimate Dharma question, I think, an intimate spiritual question. Buddhistically, we might say, there's all this karma. Are you just that karma? Is there something that is not karma? If the patterns of behavior, the automatic reactions, the rituals that make you you, were to all just vanish, what would be left? Some people are afraid they'd be lying on the floor just drooling. <laughs> we love our patterns. The Jewel Mirror Samadhi says, we, we translate it as the Precious Mirror Samadhi, within causes and conditions, time and season, patterns, it is serene and illuminating. It is serene and illuminating. doesn't say within your serenity and your peacefulness, it is serene and illuminating. It says within causes and conditions, time and season, it is serene and illuminating. We might secretly want to use the practice to obliterate the aspects of our personality that we don't like. Yeah, some examination of fixed beliefs is a good, a good and important part of this practice. To some extent, the koan curriculum used to serve this function, I think. That's not a very accessible means of practice for very many people. We might secretly want to use the practice. We might secretly hope some samadhi or some experience will kill off something we've deemed ugly. We certainly can get a break from aspects of our personality. You can't, you can't knock that. Taste it, it's good. 
It's really good. I always used to want to stay in session because after session, I, the ugliness of my personality kept showing up and I thought, ooh. <laughs> and other people were like, ooh. <laughs> I'd rather just be nobody. It's not so bad. And people go, oh, spiritual bypassing. I read a book about that, but it'd be better if 80% of the world's spiritual bypassed than what's going on right now. Anyway. <laughs> So we might secretly hope some, something, somehow this is going to kill off some part of us that we've decided shouldn't be there. And practice is not offering that kill, at least not Zen. That's sitting like a hell dweller, a hungry ghost. You, know, you actually have some self-hatred that's motivating your wanting to, to let go. That self-hatred will be a barrier. It's sitting like a hungry ghost. Personality difficulties for most people diminish, yet they diminish through honesty and spaciousness, not through trying to kill something. Here's a, um, a poem that is specifically about uh, shame. This is by my teacher, TK. What is the difference between shame and remorse? First I was dead, then alive. First I knew shame, then love. First I was self-concerned, then caring. Shame is like a blindfold, and in darkening shroud, closing in, barring the entrance. Remorse is the creaking when an old rusty door is opened for the first time in decades. Both are pain, but one brings death, the other resurrection. Where shame closes the window and draws the blind, forgets the divine, retires to isolation, remorse draws back the curtain, allows the sun's light, the pain of seeing clearly, and the joy of reparation. Pain embraced properly is purifying, whether that's emotional pain or physical pain. It purifies, it polishes the heart. Shame is how paradise was lost. Shame mistakes knowledge of wrongs done for a dead man walking. Remorse knows that reality is a forgiving friend. Shame's favorite word is checkmate. Remorse whispers of tomorrow's new dawn. Shame is like this, I was dead. Remorse is Jesus whispering to Lazarus, then alive. Shame would have you turn in and know only itself. Remorse invites you to love with all its relations. Shame hides, remorse reveals. Shame's pain is the dull ache of dying. Remorse's sting is a bandage being removed. Shame festers a wound in the dark without healing balm. 
Remorse breaks open the chest and reveals behind the breastbone a thousand doves of radiance. So we might secretly be trying to have an experience so that we can step over all of that messy pain and glide forth into the world forever shiny and unruffled. Which means we might be dodging intimacy with what is asking for intimacy inside us. You've been practicing awakeness. You've been studying reality. You've seen that there is, to greater and lesser degrees, an interaction between your mind and what happens. Some interaction between your state of mind and what comes towards you. This path and all paths based on reality are alive and interactive because the universe is interactive. What and who we see can't be separated from where we're seeing from. Who and what we be is not separate or unrelated to what we experience. There's a Sufi saying, in a crowd of saints, a pickpocket sees only wallets. First time I went to Japan, all I saw was toy robots. Yeah, really. Noriko's like, hmm. (laughs) I went to temples and all that stuff, but all I was interested in was the toy robots. That's all I noticed. That's all there really was. Who we be and what we encounter, what what really meets us, are inseparable. There's a time for cutting away, for dropping away, for skillful indifference to our minds. That's what we emphasize during session. It's so easy because it's so easy for this to become some kind of psychological project. When we come in and we're going to work on, we're going to work on our thoughts. And it's not that that may not have virtue in another context, but that's not what session is about. It's an opportunity for cutting away, for dropping away, for melting into, for skillful indifference to this history. So there's a time for that. And there's a time for beholding what's coming up and asking, why this? Why this? Why does this revisit this thought, this particular holding pattern? Why do I hit day three, week after week or month after month, if you do session regularly, why do I hit it and fall into despair like clockwork? Why? 
time for beholding what comes up and asking, what does this rest on? What does it rest on? What's underneath? Another way to approach it is, what is this? What is it saying or asking or calling for? We can ask. I'm just, this is all figures of speech, right? We can ask, but you might just ask. For some people, that's a road in. We can ask and listen to the environment. We ask and we listen to our bodies. We listen to our hearts. We listen to our dreams. What, what is this that's coming up? Why? Did some practice with Shoto Harada Roshi, and he was a teacher who ruthlessly emphasized cutting away, cutting away, indifferent to your thoughts, for the sake of the brightness of mind. Beautiful, deep, tough love. But it always surprised me, the very last sanzen you had with him, he said, what did you learn? What did you learn? Or he would say the last night of session, as he was doing closing remarks, to really contemplate what you realized during this session. He was not talking about, think about whether you had a good samadhi or kensho or something. There's, there's nothing to put your finger on there. He was asking about this human dimension. Contemplate, what did you learn? What did you see about yourself that's so hard to see outside of this kind of environment? The path, awareness, is interactive. So there is always feedback on our stance, our attitude, our state of mind. I was feeling some heartbreak for some people who practice very diligently and do not feel that they are being confirmed. They do not feel that they have the article of faith that can sustain them. But nobody practices devotedly and single-mindedly and is begrudged confirmation from the universe. Nobody. our sincerity will be confirmed. The problem, or the wonder, depending on how you look at it, is that confirmation looks many ways. We can look away from the offered confirmation because we say, that's not, I'm not really interested in that, that stuff. And we have a picture in our minds we read something, we heard something, we believe somebody else experienced something, or we want to kill something. Nobody who practices devotedly or single-mindedly will be begrudged confirmation from the Dharma. That doesn't mean you can have any say over its timeline.
It's clear to everyone that the universe is frictionless, non-stop, open, interactive creativity. It's clear. Just, there's never been like a day you woke up and the universe stood still. There's never been a day that one thought stayed in your mind. It could keep arising. You don't like it when that happens, if it's an unpleasant thought. But there's never, you've never experienced a moment of stasis. Now, it seems like these bodies are pretty stable, but if you pay attention, they're flowing all the time. The universe is frictionless, non-stop, open, interactive creativity. That's just what it is. We can look at that and say, oh, it's beautiful, it's awesome, or it's unfair. We can say, I'm there, and we can say, I'm not there. The universe is just frictionless, non-stop, interactive creativity. So we just continue practicing. The fruit of sincere practice is continuing to do sincere practice. That might not look like you do the same practice. I'm not saying that if you go deep in this, you're going to be doing session for 40 more years until you die or some terrible idea. Because what appears from practice can never be a resting point. There's no, there's no conclusion or arrival. We hang our hat only on memories of memories of experiences. Higher grade Zen teachers won't even let you say anything about your state of mind. Because it might just be just feeding that sense of, well, I experienced something. That's a part at best, a partially true statement. We hang our hat on memories of memories of experiences, and we become ghosts when we hang our hat on memories of memories of experiences. We become a ghost. We become a ghost in the midst of this frictionless universe. So maybe we go forward with deep listening, with deep self-respect, deep other respect, deep faith, deep care, and deep fidelity to that which is yours to stay close to. I want to end with a, a story. Boys and girls, story time. There was once a queen and her court high priestess. 
and a, a long, long time ago in a kingdom far, far away. The priestess had a dream one night where it rained and rained. And it was a very strange rain. It rained all over the country like this. And everyone who thereafter drank from the wells and from the water became confused. Seeing the meaningful as insignificant and the insignificant as meaningful. The priestess woke up very frightened and disturbed by this dream. She was shaken by this. It was very vivid and shared it privately with the queen. In respecting this dream, the queen and the high priestess decided not to tell anyone the concern for the fear that they might be seen as eccentric. But just in case this was an omen, they covered and protected a great deep well with the purest water they could find in the country. Nine days later, a great and peculiar storm came and went. Three days later, everyone went mad, except the queen and priestess. They looked around as everyone in they looked around at everyone in horror as everyone was taking the true as false and the false as true. Status, appearance, competition, aggression, acquisition, and entertainment as a break from all the prior, consumed the minds of the whole country. Nobody stopped to consider the meaning of all the flurry. Nobody stopped to look at their lives in the light of death, except them. They drank from the pure water that they had protected. But it was odd and hard to bear the sense of being surrounded by insane people. Time went on, Eventually, the two of them became lonely and unsure, actually. Whether they were the sane ones or the insane ones, people looked at them strangely. The lives of all around them seemed exciting. People seemed full of conviction and strong opinions and smiled often enough. But it was stressful and confusing and trying. They thought, maybe we drank the water of confusion, actually. The uncertainty and loneliness was hard to bear. After a while of this, the priestess finally drank from the public wells. The priestess woke up. The dream was a dream, and after the dream was a dream. All the characters and unfolding were within her. The strange storm the rain of illusion, the unpoisoned well, the queen, all the mad people. In a perplexing but relieving way, she could even see herself as just a character within the dream. From her bed, she gazed out her chamber window at a sky crowded with pregnant clouds. She gazed differently. 